This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Welcome back, everybody. It's Encounter with God time here on Faith FM. But before we go to our Bible study of the day, we have another clue for our quiz. Yes, this is another clue and another dead giveaway, in my opinion. I was thrown into a den of lions. So if you think you know what the answer to that is, please give us a call on 1-800-324-843. Or send us a text on zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. So yeah, I was thrown into a den of lions, and yeah, so there. Okay, give us a call if you know the answer. You know what number to call one eight hundred Faith FM, and there will be a Dennis Smith prize coming your way. Okay, so we get into Daniel chapter 11 today, which is going to be a most interesting study. We're going to eh, we're going to try and see how far we can get through this before yeah, before everybody, we before it all just gets a little bit too crazy and we probably skip to the end because there is just so much material in Daniel chapter 11. But we did start on this yesterday, and I'm wondering whether, Liam, you can read for us the first few verses of Daniel chapter 11, just to kick us us off there, please. Indeed. I've been standing beside Michael to support and strengthen him since the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede. Now then, I will reveal the truth to you. Three more Persian kings will reign to be succeeded by a fourth, far richer than the others. He will use his wealth to stir up everyone to fight against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will rise to power who will rule with great authority and accomplish everything he sets out to do. But at the height of his power, his kingdom will be broken apart and divided into four parts. It will not be ruled by the king's descendants, nor will the kingdom hold the authority it once had, for his empire will be uprooted and given to others. Okay, so there we have the introduction. And as you will notice, this introduction follows the same format of the previous prophecies we have repeat and enlarge. Of course, Babylon is not included in this because Babylon has fallen, it's gone, it's finished, and it's over. And so it simply starts through with Persia. It says, you know, um, what have we got here in verse uh, 2, is it? Uh, There shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and then the fourth will be richer than all of them. So it talks about three kings that are going to stand up in Persia, followed by a fourth who will be very, very wealthy. This information, of course, is not included in the previous prophecies. It just says, you know, the kings of the Medes and the Persians are going to rule the world for a certain period of time. Then it talks about a mighty king standing up and doing according to his will. That equates to the great horn of the goat of Daniel chapter 8, the previous prophecy. And that one is broken off and for replacing it, once again, the great horn is broken off in chapter 8 and it's replaced by four. Here you have four kings replacing that one king. So we're going to work our way down through these particular kings. We're going to find out who they are, where they fit in, and cover a little bit of history. So get ready for some history because history is coming your way. In Daniel chapter 11, there is a lot of it. 
One of the interesting features of Daniel chapter 11 is how that Daniel chapter 11 will cover high points to a certain high point, and then it skips ahead. Right. So it's almost like it will cover the history of the empire up until its peak, and it's like, well, nothing much happened after that, so we'll skip to the next empire. We'll move on, yeah. Yeah, we'll just skip to the next empire. And so if you look at, for instance, the history of the Persians, they had more than four kings. There are four kings obviously mentioned here. You know, three kings are going to stand up, and then a fourth is going to be richer than all of them. Um, but if you go through the kings of Persia, you start with Cyrus, then you have Cambyses, uh, the second, then you have Smyrdas, then you have Darius the Great, Xerxes the First, Artaxerxes the First, Xerxes the Second, uh, Sojdinanus, uh, Darius the Second, Artaxerxes the Second, Artaxerxes the Third, Artaxerxes the Fourth, Darius the Third, Artaxerxes the Fifth, before you get to the end of the Archimedes Persian Empire. And that's quite a few kings. They're not all mentioned there. No, I've only got a handful that's right. And you're going to find the same when you come to the Greek Empire. You're going to start yeah. off with Alexander the Great. You're going to find the four divisions that that empire falls into, which is then reduced to two. Then you're going to have your two primary ones, and you're going to work through your two primary ones until they peak. And once they've peaked, it's like skip forward, go to the Romans. Yeah, they just keep you the know. juicy bits. That's right. And you'll find the same thing with the Romans. You know, the Romans, of course, peak uh, in many ways under... Well, you know, you've got uh, probably Caesar Augustus is one of the peaks of the Roman Empire. Yeah. And then there's a few mentioned after that. And then just like skip forward to the next one. It goes to the Holy Roman Empire yeah. or the, you know, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church and the Vatican that ruled through the Dark Ages. And so this is kind of how this prophecy is going to proceed. Mm. Okay, <clears throat> let's work through our Persian kings. The Bible says, I will show you the truth. Behold. There shall yet there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be richer than them all. If we start with Cyrus the Persian, yes, uh, who is the who is the king who is ruling in Persia at this particular time, and who is known to history as being Cyrus the Great, one of the top most one top one hundred most influential people who have ever lived on the planet in all history. That's a big title to hold. It's a big title. And, you know, historians who have looked at Cyrus the Persian and have considered, you know, the scenarios of alternative history. Yeah. How different would the world look? Let's take God out of the equation for a moment. Uh How different would the world look if if Cyrus the Persian had never lived or had never become king? So it is Cyrus the Persian who institutes religious liberty for kind of the first time the world had ever seen. Yeah. He champions the cause of religious liberty, of civil liberty. Um, He repeatedly makes the statement that he refuses to rule over anyone who does not want to be under his rule. Yeah. Even though he does conquer a few nations. (laughs) Um, But his general philosophy is, if you want to toss me out, I'm gone. And so as a result of that, he is a king who endeavors to do good. Yeah. His aim, and, and this comes through very, very clearly, even though he does go to war, his aim as an emperor is for his subjects to want to have him in power. 
Yes. And you weren't here for part of this Bible study, but we talked about the Persian deal and how yep. that the Persians conquered a large portion of the world by the Persian deal, where they would march on a nation and say, okay, um, these are our laws, this is what our government looks like, uh, this is what it would be like to live under us, and it is a so much better yeah. than what you are currently living under right now. And they would often be welcomed as liberators rather than conquerors. Yeah. Um, and so the Persian deal was very, very much a part of Cyrus's strategy, and it was based around having good laws and freedom. Yeah. Freedom of, you know, in, in many ways it was a forerunner of, you know, some of our more modern Western uh, societies like the United States, yeah. which is based around freedom. So this is this is Cyrus. Now Cyrus was an anomaly. He was an aberration. Up until this point, every kingdom had been modelled on the Assyrian model, mm-hmm. which was the exact opposite of Cyrus. Now, of course, from Cyrus the Great's point forward. He is held up by historians, both contemporary um, Greek historians, who were the enemies of the Persians, yep. uh, and you know many other historians, and by the Bible, mind you, as the model ruler. The I mean, the thing Bible. Everybody the Bible, should be the looking Bible, up to. The Bible makes him a type of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, and so you know that this guy has done a tremendous amount of good in the world when the Bible makes him a symbol of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, and so and so this is this is uh, this is this is this is Cyrus. And of course, let's say that Cyrus hadn't lived. First of all, you would never have had that model of government ever be modelled. Yeah. Well, not for a long time into the future, anyway. The Assyrian model would have been maintained because the Assyrian model had been followed through by the Babylonians and followed through by the Medes, and it is continued by Cambyses II, who takes over from Cyrus. And the Assyrian model was to rule the world through sheer terror Mm. of the absolute worst possible kind. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Whereas Cyrus would come to a city and he would say, hey, guys, you know, you can uh, join the Persian cause and we will even give you positions of power. You know, you're in a position of power inside the city right now. You, you, you're one of the rulers or governors of this particular city. You get to stay being a ruler and a governor of that city. You'll be just doing it under Persian rule. So why not just uh, open your gates, let us come in. We've done it to many other cities in the past. Look how well they are doing. It's it's like a, a really nice invasion. It is. Yeah. It is an amazing invasion. The Syrians would attack with their professional army. Yeah. Uh, one of the possibly the first professional army the world had ever seen. They would have incredible siege machinery. Yeah. They would smash that city. They would destroy it. They would then take all of the nobility of that city and slowly kill them on the outside, you know, possibly build a large pyramid of heads, um, you know, in one side a pyramid of hands somewhere else, a pyramid of feet because they cut off your hands and their feet. Or, you know, they might take, you know, say 50 or 100 or maybe 200 of the, of the you know, the senior citizens of the city and slowly, you know, peg them out on the ground and then slowly skin them alive. 
You know, this is the kind of thing that the Assyrians would do, or they would impale them. Mm. Now, being impaled, you don't have to have much of an imagination to try and figure out how that works. They had a way of impaling people so that the impaling stick would go through you in such a way that your life would actually be prolonged the longest. So they had a, 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 they'd figured out a way. It's like, okay, if we put it through at this particular angle, it will go in one end and out the other, and you'll actually live for a long time after it goes through. I sort of picture a pig on the on a spit sort of Yeah, that of kind thing. of thing. Okay, if you picture that, you're heading the right way, except yeah. the pig on a stick is long dead by the time it gets there. Yeah. Um, they would do that in such a way, and you can read in their inscriptions how they figured out how to do that, and you wouldn't actually die straight away. So this was the Assyrians, and, and, and you know, and 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 so they ruled through sheer terror. They were the they were global terrorists, and they would brag about it. You know, these days people do those kinds of war atrocities, and they try and hide. Yeah, and oh, we never did that. No, that never happened. You know, they're going to end up at the Hague at the war tri- war crimes tribunal, but the Assyrians would put it on large billboards all over the country. They'd carve it in stone. Their billboards, of course, were made out of stone, and they would on those billboards they would draw depictions of what they had done. And they would be like, okay, you want to stand up against us? This is what's going to happen to you. This is what we will do to you. And so then if the the city surrendered to them, they would do the same, just a little bit less. Yeah. So it was was out there. And so this is what had been modelled to the world. Yeah. And so you can see where Cyrus the Persian comes along and is like, what on earth is happening here? No one's ever seen anything like this before. This is... Just you could not get more polar opposite than the policy that Cyrus was proceeding with. It seems like Cyrus had a bit more of a a, a human conscious. Probably came about as a result of being as being raised as a as a as a peasant boy as a shepherd. Yeah, you know, you, if you're going to be a shepherd, you're looking after helpless, stupid creatures, and maybe that was a good training ground for him. It was certainly good training ground for Moses. Yeah, and David. And Joseph. Yeah. You know, we could list a whole bunch of other great leaders who got their training right there. There's a reason why Jesus is called in the Bible the shepherd. Okay, so that's Cyrus. He was an anomaly. He was an aberration of history. He was like, where did he come from? If he had never lived, the Jewish people, you know, taking God out of the equation, the Jewish people would never have been sent home. They would have disappeared into captivity. That race would have vanished. That from a secular perspective, that means that you don't get Jesus. If you don't get Jesus, you don't get Christianity. If you, Jesus is the single most influential person who has ever lived. If you don't get Jesus, you don't get Islam. If you don't get, uh, if you don't have the the Jews being sent back home, you don't have the Jewish nation and religion today. When you stop and if you take Cyrus out of the equation, you don't and God, essentially have the modern world in which we live in. Exactly. Exactly. The, the world in which we live in today is unheard of, but Cyrus dies. And Cyrus dies in battle fighting a woman. It's an interesting one. And his son, Cambyses II. So Cambyses II had been appointed as a co-ruler of Cyrus. Yeah. And so when Cyrus dies, he automatically becomes the top dog. The emperor. Yeah. The top dog. He has a half-brother by the name of Bardia, who Cyrus has appointed 
as a governor to a number of uh, eastern territories. And as Cambyses II comes to power, he recognises that this Bardia character, his half-brother, is possibly his biggest threat. Mm. And so he has him executed. But he makes a kind of mistake because he doesn't tell anyone. He doesn't tell anyone that Bardia is dead. He covers it up. Says he's gone on holiday. Gone on holiday, travelled to another part, you know, done, gone somewhere. Just not here. He's not here. Yeah. And this ends up backfiring for him really, really badly. Now, of course, this is what is written in history. This is We're taking this from Greek history. And to the Greeks, you know, this is uh, the, the Persian Empire were like, um, you know, the, the, the baddest of the bad guys. Yeah. Turning up with all the infinity stones in hand and, you know, a huge army and about to just, you know, vaporize everybody, Thanos everybody. Was that on the a planet. pop culture reference? That was a pop culture reference. <laughs> um but that's how the that's how the uh you know the the, the Greeks are looking at, at the Persians as being Thanos. Yeah. One the, snap the, 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 worst of, the worst of the worst. Yeah. And so you're not going to get friendly history from the Greeks. And, of course, the Greeks come to power, you know, several hundred years later, and they're able to write the history. Yeah. But there's a fair chunk of Persian history that survives as well, and it's all very murky what happens to this brother of Cambyses II. But we're going to come back to him. Yeah. And you would be like, why would we come back to somebody who's dead? Well, we are, because it's going to become important. Right. Cambyses goes on the per- the Egyptian campaign. So Egypt is probably the last big empire in the world at this particular time. And if you go back to the Assyrians, the Assyrians were the were top dog. Mm-hmm. The Medes and the Babylonians united together to take the Assyrians down and then you had a cold war between the Medes and the Babylonians for a long time. You had these two superpowers that were rivals. And then you have the Persians who come along and take over the Medes and then take over the Lydians and then take over the Babylonians, which only leaves the Egyptians left. Mm. They are not at the same level as the uh, Babylonians or the Lydians were, but they are definitely right up there. They have weakened as an empire. They've had their, their... their era in the sun, so to speak. And Cambyses is like, yep, I'm going to own Egypt. Mm. And we all know why. Egypt is full of gold. Yeah. So he heads down to Egypt and you've got Samatik III, who is the pharaoh down down there, and he's become you know, incredibly weak at this particular period. And to cut a long story short, Cambyses conquers the Egyptians. Now, according to the Greeks, Cambyses was mad, insane, untotal nut job. Yeah. And there's every possibility that's true. There's also every possibility that he is just a complete despot who is working on the Assyrian model because he behaves in Egypt like the Assyrians would have done. Yeah. This gets the Persians upset because they have enjoyed being under Cyrus they have liked Cyrus's policies. His policies are very popular. There's a reason why he becomes the model ruler in later centuries for the whole world. 
And so he's not particularly popular because he is definitely a Syrian in the way that he approaches things. He is an out-and-out terrorist. You know, he he sends a he sends a ship to uh, um, up, up up to the capital city of the Egyptians to negotiate with the Egyptians. Let's 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 sit down and have a negotiation. He sends some ambassadors on that ship, and um, there's about two hundred ambassadors on that ship, and uh, the, the at Memphis, and the Egyptians see the ship arrive, and they come pouring out of the city, and they then attack the ship and kill everybody in it, and so Camby's this he reacts rather badly. We'll be back in just a moment with more on the story. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest my. Thank you. 
You're listening to you're listening to She Reads Truth. Great is your faithfulness here on The Breakfast Show. Let's have another clue for our quiz. You guys should all get this one. The last clue. Okay. We're down to the last one already. We're down to the last one already. And nobody's... No one's yet. quite gotten it. Okay, all right. Oh, maybe I missed one. If you've missed one, read it out. All right. Hopefully there's a really hard one in there. I Tell me if I missed it, if I... Okay, didn't miss read it. it, out it. Right. Read, read, read. I so distinguished myself from the other officials that the kingdom planned to set me over the whole kingdom. No, I think I did. Yeah, we did that one. Yeah. All right, here we go. I am either Judas, Daniel, or Caleb. Okay, which one of those is it? I'm not even going to. I'm just going to give the phone number 1 800 324 843 or text us on 0491 Okay, so we were in we were in Egypt talking about Cambyses and you know this ship of uh, emissaries that gets wiped out, and so he's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to kill ten Egyptians for every uh, one of these guys that got killed, and he 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 actually does that, you know, when he when he captures the city, he marches, you know, he, he's got the pharaoh there, and he marches two thousand Egyptians out of the city. And very slowly and brutally, you know, just sort of kills them all in front of them, you know, including his uh, his own family, his sons, his daughters, and so forth. And you know, he's just seen as being a complete madman, mm. and the Persians can't stand him. He is nothing like his father. Now, when you look at where he came from, yeah, he's kind of got okay. We've got you know three, four hundred years of the Assyrian model to look at. Uh, the Babylonians continued with the Assyrian model. The Medes had the Assyrian model. Uh, most modern nations at that particular time functioned on the Assyrian model, which is ruled by terror. Cyrus has been an aberration, but the Persians, they really, really like the freedom and the liberty that they have under Cyrus, and they don't like this guy. Yeah. He captures uh, Egypt. He extends all the way down to Ethiopia. It seems that uh, in Ethiopia he doesn't do so well. Okay, we do have a we do have a answer to our quiz. Congratulations to Matt has come through with the answer to the quiz, which was of course Daniel. There we who go. We're talking about right here, and uh, well done. Um, and so where were we talking about uh, um, Cambyses? Completely lost my train of thought. Ethiopia. Ethiopia extends down to Ethiopia across to to uh, Libya. He tries to extend as far as he can, but Suddenly, Bardia is on the throne. And you're going... Do you mean... Wait, what? The one that was... Secretly executed? Yeah. And now he's ruling? Yeah. In Persia? Yeah. And Cambyses is down there in Egypt, and Cambyses is like, what's happening? And so now Cambyses has to march back to deal with this insurrection, which is taking place back in Persia, where Bardia is now his, his brother is now under the, on the throne and ruling under the under the name of uh, well the, the Greeks called him Smyrdas. And so you've got this Smyrdas on the throne, um, and it's like, what is going on here? That's where things. Get really, really interesting. Yeah. Now, you have a couple of options at this particular point. Maybe when Cambyses sent somebody to murder uh, Bardia or Smyrdas, maybe what happened was instead of murdering him, they warned him. Yeah. And the guy shot through. Spared him. Maybe 
there was somebody back in Persia, and this is what the Greeks claim. Sorry, this is what the this is what uh, Darius claimed. Yeah, uh, who looked a lot like him and just happened to look similar to this guy. He was a bit of a doppelganger for Smyrdas, and he sort of read the political, the way the wind, the political wind is blowing, and he's gone. Yeah, you know what? Cambyses is on the nose right now. Would be a good time to seize some power, simply because of what I look like. Yeah. Because Cambyses murdered his brother in secret. Yes. And nobody knows that his brother is dead. So if I just turn up and say, I'm his brother and, you know, I was away on this trip and now I've come back and I'm going to take the throne because, hey, let's face it, none of us like Cambyses. Yeah. And he's got a lot of support. Maybe that's a scenario. It might work out pretty good for him. Maybe there's another scenario where he's just like, you know what, I'm just going to reign under this name. I'm a popular person. I have the power to reign under this name. And Cambyses is on the nose. Nobody wants to have anything to do with Cambyses. So I'm going to assume this name and reign purely because of my popularity. And everybody knows that the guy is false. Any of those three scenarios could be true or something else. We don't know. Yeah. This is one of this is where history gets murky. Now, of course, Darius goes with the theory that the guy was just a straight out imposter. He kind of looked the part, and Cambyses had killed his brother in secret. And so when he came back and said, Hey, I'm back from my trip and I'm gonna rule, everyone's like, Oh yeah, great, this is uh, you know It's the, another the blood son descendant of Cyrus. Yeah. So Cambyses packs up his army, he has to march north. He has to put down this insurrection that is taking place back in Persia. And on the way, he dies. Mysteriously. Right. Apparently, a wound in his thigh made by a knife that gets infected turns into gangrene and he dies. The big question is, which nobody talks about, it's kind of like the elephant in the room that nobody mentions is, what was he doing with a wound in his thigh? Yeah. How did he get that? You know, did someone with a poison blade just stab him at some particular point? What happened here? What we do know, it was it wasn't a whole lot of mourning when he died. No. They were kind of glad to be rid of this guy. And so of course they marched back to Babylon, but Babylon, you know, this is a bit of a bit unstable at the moment. Is like, is this the real guy? Is this not the real guy? And there are a number of conspirators who get together, uh, six of them initially, yep. and they're like we're going to take this murder guy down. He's an imposter, and this is according to Persian history now. He's an imposter. We're going to take him down. Now, the Bible, because the Bible speaks him as, as, as a king, you know, may lean towards the fact that maybe he was the real son of Cyrus. Yeah. But these conspirators like, there's an opportunity for us here. Uh, there is some doubt over who this guy is, and so we're going to take him down. And then another guy turns up. And joins the conspirators to make and to make the number seven, and his name is Darius. Histaspes. Histaspes. That's the guy. Now Darius claims and probably does have a certain level of legitimacy to it that he is a relative of Cyrus, but he makes his claim after the event. So basically, cut a long story short, these seven guys, these seven conspirators, they break into the. Uh, well, they find they they gain access yep. to the palace. There's no reason for them to raise any suspicion until suddenly the knives come out, 
and five of them deal with the royal guard, while two of them, um, Darius and Goberus, they deal with uh, Smyrtus. He's done. He's gone. He's executed. Um, and so Darius Histaspes comes to power. And, of course, this guy goes on to become the second great Persian king, the second king who is called Darius the Great. And he goes to great lengths to establish that he is a relative of Cyrus. And it's kind of because of that that people are sus about it. And, you know, like, was he really? If you try and oversell really, yeah, something. Yeah, if he's trying to oversell something, of course he marries Cyrus's daughter. Yeah. So that his children now are going to be blood yeah. descendants of Cyrus. So regardless of he, whether he is or not, that's right. he can guarantee that. But he does become incredibly successful. He is the most wealthy. He is the CEO. He is the Solomon of Persia. Mm. If you think of King Solomon, this is the role that Darius the Great fills. We're going to follow the story on from here tomorrow. This is Bifrost Arts with How Long.
Are you looking for a way to turn your life experience into an enriching gift for helping those around you? A counselling degree at Avondale College of Higher Education could provide you a great foundation to assist others through life's difficulties. Study in a personalised environment alongside a fantastic support network and community on our Lake Macquarie campus. Apply to study counselling today at counselling.avondale.edu.au. It's higher education designed for life. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. It's okay to grow. It's okay to grow. It's okay to scrape your knee on the pavement to rise and fall. It's okay to grow to Kenny Kemi Ogendi with Note to Self. This is The Breakfast Show and we have come to question of the day time. We had a flurry of people yesterday calling in to say that you didn't finish the question. We ran out of time. Yeah, come on, guys. Give me a break. <laughs> only got X amount of time to be able to get through question of the day. We will get there. Don't panic. If we don't finish a question one day, we will get to it the next. So let's go through yesterday's question again. Yesterday's question coming in uh, from Nathaniel, I believe. If the judgment happens before Jesus' return, Which what does. is the purpose of the 1,000 years afterward? And is this 1,000 years literal 
or does it follow the day for a year principle? Okay, this is a really good question. We talked about the purpose of the thousand years yesterday and how the purpose of the thousand, the purpose of the judgment before Jesus comes back is so the universe can see that God is right and there's no doubt in anyone's mind. The purpose of the judgment after Jesus comes back is so that we can go through that same process because we are going to live for eternity as well. And it would be a bad idea if any of us had doubts in our mind. Uh, the Bible says that is is uh, judgment by the saints. The Bible says that you know that we would even judge angels during that time period. Paul says that, um, and so you know this is what will be taking place during the thousand years. And I'm I'm, I'm summarizing um, a whole lot here, making it very very short for the space of time. The question is: Is the thousand years literal time or symbolic time? Is in other words, is it actually a thousand twenty four hour? Uh, you know, a thousand years made up of twenty-four hour days, as we understand it right now. Yeah. Or is this day for a year? Now, if it's day for a year, that's a thousand times three hundred and sixty. Let's try and let's just just bring that up for a moment. Uh, let me see what that number would be. One thousand times three sixty is three hundred and sixty thousand years. Of course, any mathematician out there is now shaking their head, like, why did Take Lyle so long to figure that out. Just add three zeros to 360. And he's like, really? We need 360,000 years just to have a judgment of review? The answer is no. This is a literal time. Yeah. And this is the principle that you find in the Bible. If you look at the book of Daniel, for instance, let's, let's consider the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, it is universally agreed by all commentators of all faiths that Daniel chapter 9 is built around the principle of a day for a year. Yeah. Okay, everybody agrees on that. Yes, just, yeah, yeah. You know, it's not just our church or your church. Everybody agrees on that. It's built around the principle. The prophecy there is day for a year. The interesting, what, what I find interesting is that people then become inconsistent when they go to the 2,300 days and the 1,260 days, the 1290 and the 1335, and they don't use the day for a year. If you're going to use it in chapter 9, how can you not use it in the other? So we have to establish a principle whereby we define, a biblical principle whereby we define when do you use day for a year and when do you use day for a day. You see, if you go to the prophecy of Daniel chapter 4, seven years of Nebuchadnezzar's insanity. Or the prophecy of, I think it's Jeremiah chapter 26, which is 70 years of Jewish captivity. Or the prophecy of, what is it, somewhere in there in Genesis, 400 years of, you know, Egyptian captivity. These are all day for a day, not day for a year. Yeah. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what is different about these two forms of prophecy? Uh -huh. And when do we use day for a year principle? And when do we not use day for a year principle? Okay, so let's consider the really big difference. All of the prophecies I just mentioned, Egyptian captivity, Babylonian captivity, the length of Nebuchadnezzar's insanity, these are all events that have taken place in history. Let's then compare that with the other prophecies of the 1260, the 1290, the 1335, the 2300, the 70 weeks of chapter 9, which is a portion of the 2300 uh, these are all part of apocalyptic end-time prophecy. 
It's a different category. Yeah. So now we're dealing with apocalyptic end time prophecy. And the principle is if you take day for a year in apocalyptic end time prophecy, it's always going to work. Use day for a day in historical prophecy. And, of course, when you come to the millennium, you are now after the end of time. You are post-end time. And so day for a year no longer exists. And so you would simply go back to day for a day. That's a biblical principle. We can show that by context. Welcome back, guys. This is the end of The Breakfast Show, which means we are giving something away for free. Liam, what have you got for us today? Today, we're sort of still focusing on the topic of health, and uh, we mentioned uh, in my segment and in the segments earlier in the in the show, we had songs that you could use to sing to wash your hands, to battle coronavirus. We did. We did. So on the topic of health, what we are going to be giving away today is... Easy Steps for Better Health by Sean Boonstra with Fred Harding. Hardinge. Harding. Apologies if I mispronounced that, but surely... By Fred. One of those would be... Fred's book. There we go. By Fred. Fred and Sean Boonstra, Easy Steps to Good Health, uh, if you want to know how to... By the way, there's a really good YouTube video getting around with Doug Batchelor interviewing Dr. Neil Nedley um, on the best ways to... con. To, to, to fight against the coronavirus. So that one's worth looking up as well. Dr. Neil Nedley um, with Doug Batchelor, and you can go there to find out. But anyway, right now what you need to do is give us a call, 1-800-324-843, and your free book with uh, Sean Bernstra and Fred Harding will be coming your way. You can text us on 0491 064 669. Very good. 
Okay, so of course, we like to remind you at the end of the show, we always like to remind you to study the Bible, study it by yourself, study it with someone else, study it in a small group, study it at church, study it online, however you would like to study your Bible. Don't forget to talk faith, live faith, and act faith right through this day, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. God be with you till we meet again.
Somebody bigger than you. 